Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Stars Matter in the Until Saturday feed. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, a national college football reporter for us, covers the nation and recruiting. Ari, fresh off of a trip to South Bend, Indiana, your first time there. Quite the ball game you saw. How you doing, buddy? It was a wonderful trip. Definitely a bucket list uh, stadium, and uh, the university's campus is truly remarkable. And the fact that we got to see a game that was decided at the last minute. Sorry, the last second, the last play is something I'll never forget. It was super, super fun. Yeah, a rare walk-off in, in football. Also joined by Grace Rayner. Grace, a national reporter for us as well, covers recruiting. And Grace is was back in her old stomping grounds, Clemson, South Carolina. Also saw a very good game, an overtime game, some drama there. So how was the return, Grace? And, and, and welcome to the pod. Oh, thanks. It was a lot of fun. Heck of a game. It was much closer than I I thought it was going to be, um, but yeah, it was a really good time. Florida, seeing Florida State up close was was pretty cool. And also joined by Manny Navarro, uh, covers Miami for us and recruiting. Manny, back from a trip to the couch on Saturday, a familiar yes. stomping ground. I'm sure you had a lot of couch time, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of good snacks as you monitored many games for us. So uh, you, you kept an eye on the Hurricanes, but I know you were watching the, the game that Grace was at. Yeah, uh, I was really impressed with uh, how Clemson played in that game, believe it or not. And I thought for sure Florida State was going to go in there and take care of business. But uh, it was fun. It's fun Saturday. Yeah, it's good. Son. Just uh, uh, you guys travel or have traveled a lot to games. I spend, you know, about 15 straight hours on the couch every Saturday. It's good, good, good times. Um, well, Mitch, nobody asked you about your trip this weekend, you know, just because yeah, you're the host. True. I mean, you don't get to tell us oh, what you yeah. did this weekend. You had oh. some father-son time this weekend. Yeah, huh? father-son uh, and, and, and family time. Went to uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina for family weekend uh, to visit Gabe for uh, the Georgia Tech-Wake Forest football game. Had a good time. Georgia Tech looked very, very good after uh, some shaky. Although they played well in the opener against against Louisville. Did not play great against Ole Miss, but looked really good. Uh, won that game. But yeah, great time. Uh, hung out with Gabe, a bunch of his friends. Spent a lot of time on campus. Some good food there. So had a great time. And I appreciate all of my colleagues for picking up the slack. It was not the best yeah, weekend. I, mean, I, I got to tell you, if I were a college football editor, I certainly would take vacation on one of the 10 fall Saturdays a year. <laughs> well, that's, actually, that's my second one that I've had off my, I know, my, you've, nep- you, my nephew. You've got done married. it quite a bit. I've noticed. Yeah. yeah. I'll be around this Saturday, though. So I'll be, I'll be there for you. I want to know, how was the, uh, didn't you have a huge dinner with like all of his fraternity buddies? Yes, we did. I'll get it. I'll get into that. I, have that? A f- I, I have a food etiquette question. For the panel, but really it's directed at Ari. Um, but I will get to that in a bit. Um, but good show today. We're going to talk uh, about the big news at Michigan State and, and how that affects the recruiting landscape. There are a few notable 2024 commitments and a bunch of commitments in the class of 25 that we're going to get to. We're going to hit on a few kind of recruiting pipelines, uh, what's gone wrong and what's gone right with some of them, just some big-time programs. We'll have mailbag questions and trivia. But first, let's let's talk Michigan State, and we're going to talk recruiting too. But also, it's just this 
this is a college football podcast in addition to recruiting. And it's big news. Uh, I guess formally firing Mel Tucker today. I want to roundtable this first. If you were the decision maker at Michigan State, who would you hire? I'm going to start with you, Manny. Well, I think they've got a pretty good recruiter over at Ohio State who's the offensive coordinator. What's his name again? The guy who's uh, getting all those receivers every single year. Oh, yeah, him. Uh, Let's make, I'd, I'd make a huge push for that guy. Brian Hartline. Yes, Brian Hartline. Okay, I, I like I it. I think it's the only thing that makes sense, to be honest. Only thing that makes sense. Wow. That is very bold. Ari? Uh, can what I bring Nick you? Saban back? Uh, okay, let's just say Nick Saban's <laughs> not going back. You said I was in charge and I could bring anybody I wanted no, back. No, you're like, in charge to make the decision. That doesn't mean you can bring whoever you want. You can make the hire. They, it's, it's a two-way street. They need to accept the job, Ari. You can offer the job, but the person has to accept the job. Yeah, um, well, I would offer the job to Nick Saban, and if he didn't come – then I would probably try Kirby Smart, and then no. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. I know I'm annoying you, Mitch. Um, there are a few coaches that um, that kind of jump out to me. I think what Mike Elko's done at Duke in a short period of time is super interesting. Um, I think Dave Clawson at Wake Forest has found a way to win much bigger than his school's profile. I'm very interested in people at Michigan State who have proven at other places that they can not only build a program but win bigger than their previous college profile. Um, Lance Leipold is another one. Um, and, of course, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. I think I would probably choose one of those. Who would you um, choose? If, um, I probably would probably go with Mike Elko. The thing I like about Mike Elko is his diverse background as a recruiter. He's kind of recruited to all sorts of different places and has done a pretty good job of uh, raising the bar at Duke in such a short amount of time and um, I like that he would know exactly what buttons to press uh, if he were hired there. Grace? I like those. I like Clawson. I like Elko. I think I would maybe go Sean Lewis, though. Um, ding, 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 ding. Head coach experience. Um, I Colorado's been must-see TV, and I think what has impressed me the most about him is just, like, the way he's adapted and – took this job to maybe sort of elevate his profile. Um, I think he's like the perfect combination of a safe, but still kind of flashy hire, if that makes sense. Yeah, he would be my choice too. And I probably would have said the same thing, even if he did not go to Colorado. Like I, I remember, you know, you look at yeah. uh, Syracuse's uh, trajectory. I think it was his ten, the second season under Daniel Babers when they won 10 games. And I, I remember looking, okay, who's their, who's their offense coordinator? Sean Lewis, young guy. And then Kent State, hired him and he did a very good job at a very, very difficult place to win there and then made the sort of you know unconventional decision to leave a head coaching position to go to Colorado. And I think the fact that he was hired by Dion and he's thrived under Dion shows some adaptability too. I mean, that's not an easy, you know, most coaches are just football coaches. They just want to put their head down and dry, dial up ball plays, whatever. But when you're at Colorado with what that has become there, you're dealing with a lot of distractions and, and he's, you know, Continuing to didn't we have like a thirty-five minute argument about Kenny Dillingham's age when he got hired at ASU, and does that not matter anymore to you? Kenny Dillingham was not had not been a head coach. Oh, so you think that five years the Kent State stint like makes him more likely to succeed? I wasn't anti Kenny Dillingham. I just thought he was young, and yes, being a head coach for five years trumps not being a head coach at all. Yeah, I'm just surprised you would go with somebody at 37 to take over a program that's 37 is not, not only- young. It's older than you. It is. Yeah. I wouldn't hire you. 
Um, All right, would, would Brian Hartline do it? I don't know. I, I don't I think don't, so. I really don't know. Like, I think he would be a good candidate, and I think it's a really good idea. I don't know if that's what he wants to do. I'm not sure he knows what he wants to do. I mean, I haven't talked to him about it in a year or so. You know, things change, and I'm sure he's thought about it quite a bit because he's going to be a hot coaching candidate at every place that has an opening. But, you know, there's a difference, too, and the thing that we have to discuss isn't just that Michigan State's a Power 5 job in the Big Ten East and all that stuff. It's like you also have to go fix a place that's been through quite a bit of turmoil, too. Like, And there's a little extra layer of dysfunction within the university and all that stuff that has kind of – permeated i don't know if that's the right word through yeah you know multiple sports and multiple it's just like it seems like a heavier lift to me than i would want to deal with and i think there's a reason why luke fickle passed on the job when they were interested in him before right like am i remembering this correctly didn't they want him first and then he yeah. decided to go uh, and, and i know there's no more divisions Ari, but it's also seemingly at a time when the, your three biggest rivals, I guess you would say, are peaking. Are really good. Ohio yeah. State, Penn State, Michigan are all top. Are they all in the top five? I don't. You know, they're all top five caliber teams. I do want to say one name that you threw out there, Ari, which is interesting to me, Dave Clawson. Um, you know, most people think he's got a great gig at w- w- Wake Forest. He has turned down overtures from other schools, but I think he is the. He's at that age. I'm not sure he's a few years older than I am. But I think he's like. Middle, he's maybe late fifties. Where if he's going to make a move, what Grace? What is it? Y'all have the same birthday, don't you? Yes, with the same birthday, Uh, not same birth date. Um, But uh, I should know how old he is. Um, Thanks for remembering that, Grace. Um, But like, (laughs) if he's going to make a move, it's going to be now. Like that's the right. He's probably got another five to seven or more years in him. So like, if if he gets to a point where three or four more years and he doesn't leave then he's probably awake for life. And again, he's got a great situation there, but you never know what makes a guy tick. Maybe he wants that shot at a power five school where he can legit have, has a chance to win a national title. Um, so it's, it seems to be a good candidate pool out there when you're talking about guys like Mike Elko, Dave Claus. There's one other, there's one other name, Mitch. Can I bring him in? Of course. Uh, I think Charles Huff. Yes. Marshall's an interesting <laughs> candidate too. somebody who, you know, has coached at uh, Penn state in Alabama and has, Recruited at a very high level. I think he's won multiple recruiting of the year, uh, a recruiter of the year awards from the recruiting services and, you know, was partly the reason why Penn State got Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders and J.C. Latham went to, to Michigan. So it's, I mean, sorry, Alabama. I don't know why I said Michigan. That would have been a great pool for Michigan, though, if they would have gotten five-star offensive tackle yeah. out of the South like that. But he's he's a, he's a dark horse, too, and somebody that I think would be an interesting candidate yes. as well. But whoever takes the job has to be willing and motivated by cleaning up a mess, which I think is an extra layer of thought that you have to put into this job opening. Yes. That's why Um, I think you have to get a former head coach. Like, I don't know that this is like someone's first job. Yeah. Good point. Um, so on a recruiting front, they've suffered two uh, decommitments in, in recent days or recent about a week. Um, no, no surprise there. Their class is now they're down to 11 commitments 55, uh, rank 55 nationally. And I've seen some stock, you know, I don't tell me if this line of thinking makes sense, guys, you know, when, when a coach leaves, even if you're not in the transfer window, you transfer window period, you've got 30 days for kids to leave. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think that matters now with this because it's like kids, it's not like they can transfer and go play at a different school. They got to finish the semester academically. And if they're going to transfer, they can just transfer in the normal fall, fall window anyway. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of turnover 
kids going to want to leave because they weren't recruited by this new guy and the new guy wanting to clean anything up. But is that, as you guys understand the rule, does that make sense? That like this, the transfer window thing doesn't really, isn't going to really come into play here because guys, they have to finish the semester. Well, it's just not typical that a coach gets canned in September. Uh, once the season starts, so I think I'm with you on that. I think, and the rules new right. too. You know, yeah. so Manny, you you agree that that interpretation of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think as far as you know, them losing players in the middle of the year, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I do obviously think they have to hire, have somebody in place by the end of November, early December. Like you, you they can't take their time with this, uh, or or you know, the exodus is just going to be ridiculous. So yep. to me, yeah, I mean, I think. You know, you're gonna you probably punt on this recruiting class and and just hope you can bring in transfers, whoever the new guy is, uh, that he can bring bring some guys with him. Yep. Um, what do you do though about the? Because um, it's week four, right? So like this is the redshirt threshold. Like those guys might bolt, right? Yeah, I guess they could. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if they've played four games already and they want to preserve the year of eligibility, um, they could just. Leave, they could stay in school, but leave the program, yeah. I guess. I don't know the logistics of that. I mean, these they got to have enough guys to field the team. I don't know. How, you know, there's there's guys who are seniors who that doesn't, sure. I guess, still affects them. But if you're in your fifth year, whatever, there's a lot, lot of moving parts there. Um, and just a, obviously a, 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 not a great situation all the way around. Had some notable commitments uh, last week. Brandon Baker, offensive tackle, five-star, number 25 overall, but the number one offensive tackle for Matter Day uh, to Texas. And Ari, this is a guy that you had a a good story about maybe 18 months ago. You called him, he's a kid from Southern Has California. Has it been that long already? God, I think man. so. <laughs> um, you called him the, the, I forgot the headline we used, but it's like, here's the the kid that the most important USC com- recruit in two years. And he USC mm-hmm. wasn't even his final five. We talked in recent weeks about their lack of success at Matter Day in this cycle. But uh, I guess it's a huge blow for USC, but not surprising because, again, he wasn't even – they weren't even in his top five. Yeah, it's funny how you go from uh, writing a story about how this is the most important recruit of the USC coaching tenure under Lincoln Riley in two years and maybe even more – because he's a five-star offensive tackle and a state that just doesn't really produce that many offensive linemen. And, you know, USC's entire thing probably when it comes to, you know, winning playoff games and being built sturdy for the future is to shore up their lines on both sides of the ball. And then he doesn't even include USC in his top five. And it gets even worse. I think there's five fringe top 100 players, five one top 100 or fringe top 100 players at Matter Day in the 2024 class, and all of them are not going to USC. And that used to be a pipeline school for USC. You know, the thought process was that when Lincoln Riley came in, that every single Southern California recruit um, was automatically going to go to USC, and now they're going 0 for 5 at a place where it was just second nature to get those kids. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. I know Antonio Morales is trying to report a story about it, but it is a really, really bad look, and you know, whatever's going on there, they're going to have to figure it out because that school is really important to USC's future recruiting as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Notre Dame, uh, Gerby Lambert, offensive tackle from Massachusetts, number 48 overall and the number two offensive tackle. So the top two offensive tackles off the board. Um, and then real quick on a commitment coming up, then I want to dive back into Notre Dame because they were one of the programs that, that uh, made some uh, hay in the 25 class. Um, on Thursday, five-star athlete Terry Bussey, if I'm pronouncing that right, from Timpson, Texas, which I looked at, looks like it's very, very East Texas. Uh, he is a five-star athlete, uh, plays quarterback, wide receiver, defensive back, has some uh, just gaudy offensive numbers. I think it's a lower-level school, but it just sounds like he is all over the field. Looks like Texas A&M at this point. He's he's a fun guy to look at. Like how will he be utilized um, in in college? Uh, but clearly a guy who who is dangerous with the ball. But uh, so Notre Dame got four commitments in the past ten days. Um, Deuce Knight, the quarterback we talked about last week from Mississippi. Um, this is for the twenty twenty five class. Running back Daniel Anderson from Arkansas. Uh, athlete C J May from Alabama. Uh, d- defensive lineman Joseph Reif um, from Illinois. Three of those guys were ranked. Three of those guys are four stars. Rife is unrated, unranked right now, but the class ranks number four overall with six commitments. Georgia has seven commitments, and Alabama has six. And Penn State has three recent commitments, three, uh, five in the class, but three since the the whiteout. And I bring these two up not just because it's notable, but Notre Dame just had they lost the game. But Ari, you were there. I guess you you can speak to the environment. Like that's a great showcase for Notre Dame football. And we all know that Penn State's whiteout is maybe the best showcase by any team every year in recruiting. So it's not surprising that both these programs got a little bump on the recruiting front after this weekend. Yeah, I got to say that when I left or was leaving the stadium, uh, Pete Sampson and I walked out together, our Notre Dame beat writer, and the lot for where we parked the car or for the media lot was kind of like a 10 or 15 minute walk away. So we were just talking and like, I just kind of hit me that I felt really bad for Notre Dame and their fans um, because they really did do enough to win that game on Saturday night. Um, they, they face an Ohio state team that probably isn't peak version of itself. I don't know. We'll see how good they are later on in the year, but I don't look down at that Ohio state team on Saturday night and think that's the national champion this year. Um, and they actually had a chance to show that they had closed the gap a little bit and can win a game like that. And it's not just about the playoff discussion this year or what it would mean for the program on the field this year, but it could have been a really huge, you know, stake in the ground type of game to prove to recruits that they're headed in the right direction, you know, and to be that close to winning and, you know, having only 10 guys on the field, the last two plays of the game and which the fans I'm sure didn't know about, or most of them probably didn't even know. I about. didn't They're, count. I mean, I don't know how people count that. Fact. I couldn't see uh, from the press box. They only had 10 up there and it was happening well, you're so fast. There to be 11. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's also not my job to figure it out, but it's like they ran to the hole where the guy was missing. So, um, right. <laughs> it's the just, coaching. it's a tough look, you know, it's a tough and yard. Ari. That was they, a really tough and yard. They actually they almost didn't get it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> they Ari had a guy there. They wouldn't have, you know, Ryan day, you know, he can say what he wants. He won. Had three situations where they needed one yard. Didn't get it twice on a pass and one on an end around. And on the third one, they needed what? Six. Uh, they needed maybe a foot. 
and the other team only had 10 guys, and they ran to the spot where the guy wasn't there, and they still only made it by like three inches. So, I mean, they were – I guess they're tough because they got that. Uh, yeah. I, will, I will say that this is no defense, obviously, because these coaches are paid millions and millions of dollars. But after like working you know, sideline reporter for seven years, I think one of the most amazing things is that teams are able to – change personnel packages so quickly, like on every play, it is just, it's, it's chaos down there, but they, there's great communication. There's great signals, whatever like that, but guys coming on, on and off the field. If you just stare at the sidelines, it's kind of fun to watch, but you know, again, they're paying a lot of money to get this stuff right. I can barely count to 11 now, like let alone doing it in like five (laughs) seconds. Like you have to do it really quickly. I've always marveled at how, like when you think about how tense that moment was and what was on the line and, the fact that Ohio State did some personnel changes, like in that moment, how a coach could be like, actually, we only have 10 people out there. It's like, I can understand why that could get away from you. I'm not saying it's excusable, but I know if I were a head coach, I would certainly have a hard time with that sort of thing, too. So uh, that's not Grace, an easy thing. What do you think was going on in the headsets at that point? Grace coming oh off God. of her tales from the headset story about funny stories or communication issues that go on during games. I'm I would, I would, I would love to hear what all the coaches were saying at that point. Yeah, like ten years from now, when we do or five years from now, <laughs> when we do part two of that story. Um, I mean, I'm with Ari. Like, I feel like it's just absolute total chaos. And then, but I'd be curious. Like, did someone notice it on the headset? But and then it was too late. Or like, did you? I don't like Ari. You were there. I wasn't. I was filing my Clemson story. Like, at what point did they realize this happened? They pretended to know after the game and then on the press conference on Monday, they changed the story a little bit. So they were trying to act like they knew and that they didn't want to put somebody in the game because they didn't want to have a penalty, but I certainly would rather have a penalty in full 11 people out there than a half yard and a quarter of a yard. Uh, And then Marcus Freeman said he didn't know until right before the ball was snapped. So um, that it's just a, you know, when you think about how important certain wins are, like we talk about on the show all the time that um, nobody's going to decide to go to Notre Dame because they won a game or no one's going to decide not to go to Notre Dame because they lost a game in the last minute. But there are certain tentpole wins that like actually are proof of concept and um, are just like great vibes for the program that you could like look back to and say, hey, we did this or we did that. And um, the fact that they aren't able to get it, it's like the 10 man thing is, is a bad look, but they won the game. They had the game won, and it's just a, it's a tough scene for Notre Dame because it's already hard enough to, um, you know, build a program. There were some of the limitations that they have as a program, but then also too to, you know, have this stigma about you're not talented enough to play with these teams. And, you know, every time you play a Georgia or Ohio state or, a, or an Alabama, you get your ass kicked and then to have them on the ropes like that on your home field. And then, blow it at the end there. It just seems like a huge missed opportunity just for the build of the program. You know, I don't know how much negative recruiting goes on. I'm sure it does. You know, it's something we don't really talk about a lot as, as a staff. You know, it seems like back in the day, people would talk more about negative recruiting. But it's something if you're considering Notre Dame and sc- another school you're looking at said, hey, you know, look, look at Notre Dame, great program, great school. Marcus Freeman's a great guy. But look, look at some of the coaching decisions. When push comes to shove, are, are you going to be in, is your, the team going to be in the right position? You know, you're going to have the right guys, amount of guys in the field. You know, if this stuff keeps happening, it could start hurting Notre Dame on the recruiting front. Like this one incident, maybe not. 
But you, you don't want to be to have the perception that you're not a well-coached program, I would think. As, as a guy who, co- who uh, covered Miami when Al Golden was the coach, Al Golden, of course, is the defensive coordinator now at, North, uh, at Notre Dame, ah. uh, I'm not surprised that they had a snafu near the goal line. That didn't have enough guys on the field. He was Al, Al Golden and Mark Denoffer, who was the defensive coordinator at Miami, were infamous for not having enough guys near the line of scrimmage when teams had third and short or, or were near the goal line. And so Miami gave up a lot of easy touchdowns that way. That's that's a coaching hire. You know, we, we've we've all come to admit that it's so hard to figure out who's going to pan out and who's not. But the, I don't know what you thought at the time or what the, per, the perception down there, Manny. I, I was shocked that Al Golden did not do a better job because he took over a Temple program that was just awful, beyond awful, got them respectable, I think, to bowl game, whatever. And it just seemed like such a good hire. And clearly – didn't work out, clearly didn't have enough guys near the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a Northeastern guy, and I think he just came in with the with the wrong perspective on South Florida talent and, and Florida talent in general. He thought they could run a 3-4 scheme here, and he was just mistaken. There's just The recruits in this area are just not built to run what Penn State's run for years. Gotcha. Um, so I want to kind of tie, tie that into South Florida. One of the 25 commits that Penn State got um, – was uh, Tyquay Hayes, a running back from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Um, it's kind of storied program. Book was written about that program before. And that is a, in Pittsburgh, right outside of Pittsburgh, that is a program that Penn State has struggled to recruit forever. In fact, I was talking to Matt Brown, one of my colleagues, one of our editors who went to Penn State. He says basically it dates back to the Mike Ditka era. Ditka was from Aliquippa who went to Pitt. They just, I think they signed a, a four-star defensive end in the class of 2020, but really do not do well for whatever reason, in Aliquippa. So they got a kid from there. So that got me thinking to pipelines because we've been talking about USC and Matter Day struggling there. You know, one thing we've talked about, I know, Grace, you, you, and, you and Seth uh, Emerson might be looking at this uh, later in the, in the fall. You know, for Georgia, for all the recruiting they've done in number one class, all that, they have not been as dominant in state as you would think. Um, Nashville here in Nashville is not exactly a Tennessee stronghold. You know, the rest of the SEC and Big Ten recruits there. Um, so I thought this is kind of an interesting topic. We can throw out some other areas. But, Manny, we talked a little offline about this. You, you, your thought is that if Miami isn't recruiting my, South Florida well, it's more of like a Miami issue. It's not a specific program where kids are, you know, coaches are steering kids away from Miami. That's historically hasn't really happened. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I don't, I don't ever get the sense that, you know, certain colleges aren't necessarily welcome at, at, at the powerhouses down here in South Florida. I just think, you know, it's it just kind of changes over time. Like there's 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 eras when St. Thomas Aquinas has, you know, been a perennial power and produced so many great players over the years. They sent a lot of players to Miami. And then there's, you know, those periods where uh, it just for whatever year they'll go on a two or three year run and they won't send a player to Miami. So it's just. You know, South Florida is, is, is sort of just one of those examples where there's so much talent down here. Everybody in the country comes down here. It just kind of depends on what's going on with those, with those college teams and, and which recruiters are down here at that time. All right. Anything come to mind from covering Ohio State recruiting? Um, I assume Ohio State had kind of, I know, Glenville, you know, they, they had free free run at all the powers in Ohio. Like, uh, here's, here's a question for you. I've always heard that Ohio, Cincinnati isn't the Ohio State stronghold that you think it would be historically. Is that mm-hmm. fair? Well, it wasn't before Kerry Combs came uh, at the beginning of the Urban Meyer era, uh, and then they did a really good job down there. Now, the thing that Ohio State has always done really, really well is keep kids home. 
in the state of Ohio. And Glenville was certainly one of the places that they did it a lot with, like uh, Troy Smith and Ted Ginn Jr. and Eric Smith and Marshawn Lattimore. They got a lot of really good players out of Glenville during the you know last 20-year period. But you know one place that Ohio State is susceptible or had been? If you go back and look, I think that if you if you found um, the data of all the players that Ohio State has offered legit committable offers to in the state of Ohio in the last 20 years, they might have only missed out on five total. Like It's like that few. And I think Notre Dame has three of them. And the reason why is because Notre Dame has done such a good job in the state of Ohio and some of the places in Cincinnati and Cleveland going into the private Catholic schools and, and selling Notre Dame as an extension of that environment. Um, but there haven't been any high schools for the most part in the state of Ohio that have turned their back on the home state program. I remember when Jackson Carmen went to Clemson, that was like, he was from the Fairfield, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cincinnati, I believe. And I was there that day when he he committed to Clemson and like, it was like the world stopped spinning for a minute. There it was like, how could a five-star offensive lineman in the state of Ohio possibly not go to Ohio state? It was a huge deal. Like I think Ohio state is probably the shining example of keeping kids home in all of the country. It's like, even with Georgia, for instance, like that's an interesting state too, because it's like, you look at what Georgia is doing in the recruiting realm this year and this cycle, I think Georgia's probably going to win the recruiting crown this year. Right. I think that's possible. Not many says four state land. What? Many says Florida State. Are you still on that bullshit? Okay, you're still. <laughs> Might happen. Never know. Yeah. Right, that's right. We you, never you know. You never we, actually, know. We, Manny, yeah. we will know. We will know at some point. You never know now, but we will know. Uh, Manny, I'll tell you what, buddy. If that comes true, we're going to have to clip up every time you said that and like, it's gonna be on the history channel. You got out hot, ta- yeah. out hot takes, Ari, and uh, yeah, I like when you said that the first time. I was like, "Ooh, boy!" I, I'm not even sure I would say something like that, but yeah, you never know. Um, Jeremiah Smith, huh? He's gonna flip the Florida State, and all the ball, all the marbles are gonna come. But let me go look at <laughs> at Georgia for a second here. The the team rankings are they have 26 commitments, uh, four five star prospects, 17 uh, four stars. Um, and eight of the 26 players that are committed to Georgia are from the Peach State. That is just but, shockingly low. But, like, again, but how, like, how, here's how, the how best can we criticize part. them? How can we criticize them? They're number one. They're only going to sign one player in the top ten in, in Georgia this year. That's and that player even, is Dylan Rayola, who's right, not even right. from Georgia. This is not even a Georgia like, kid. I don't know. And here's the, the best part about it, guys. The number 10 player in the state of Georgia ranks number 62 nationally. So they're all like top 70 players, all 10 of them. And Georgia's only getting Rayola. Um, now, Georgia's done a pretty good job in the lower half of the, of the you know, they got 16, they've got 14, they've got 12, uh, and they got 21, all of whom are one in the top 170. So they've got guys. But like when you think about how good their recruiting class is, and then you compare it to the top 60, like, They've literally left nine top 60 players off out, out there, and they're still going to win the recruiting crown despite that. And I guess the number one notion is that, you know, people that live in Gwinnett County or in Atlanta are very transient, and a lot of the players that come there have not grown up in Georgia or don't have Atlanta roots, which is what 
um, is the reason for that. But the funniest response that I have to that stat is it doesn't matter where anybody's from when Georgia's recruiting nationally. So why does it matter for the kids than where they're from in Atlanta? You would still think that the conversion rate would be closer just because anybody could get in the car and drive 55 minutes to Athens from Atlanta to check it out. Like it, even if they are grew up in Tennessee or uh, Florida or Texas or something and moved to Atlanta, the proximity alone would still be enough for how well that this program has recruited nationally to close. Uh, Florida state has three top seven players in the state of uh, uh, Georgia. Georgia. Three of the top 33 players nationally um, in the state of Georgia are going to Florida state. Ohio state has two. South Carolina has one. Tennessee has one and Georgia has one. I, I just, I think it is hilarious that this is the numbers and you would never think in a million years that it would, it would work out this way. And it's like, Anybody else would get criticized for this. I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? This is incredible. What a mismanagement of talent and recruiting. And it's like, ah, well, Kirby knows what he's doing, you know? So. Also, it's part of its geography too. There's just so many power programs close by. Like Auburn is two hours from Atlanta. So I guess if you live in the Western part of Atlanta, you're close, you're just as close to Auburn as you are Georgia and Tennessee is very close as well. So here, another program, I think Bishop McDevitt, um, in Parisburg is also a program that I think Penn State has, has struggled to, to recruit well. So any of our, our listeners. Well, here's out. the thing with Penn State, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I've thought about, a lot about this. Like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh may as well be different states. Like it is a long, diverse state. And like being in Erie and being in Pittsburgh and being in Philadelphia is like very different. So Penn State, which is in central Pennsylvania, up in the mountains nowhere, um, doesn't necessarily have a connection to Philadelphia. It doesn't necessarily have a connection to Pittsburgh. They're far. And even if you're, even if you're a three hour drive away, it's still kind of a pain in the ass to get the state college from those places. So, you know, being able to have a stranglehold on the city of Pittsburgh is not as easy uh, for Penn state as it is for Ohio state and Cleveland, you know, a state away. Um, so what James Franklin has had to do is resort to recruiting New Jersey the uh, DMV area, and of course, Pennsylvania. And I think that as you've gone and looked at the way that Penn State has recruited the last year or two, they seem to have dramatically improved their their positioning in uh, Pennsylvania high schools, but also have done a good job in, in New Jersey. They've done a good job in, in D.C. And, you know, their recruiting classes in general are pretty diverse. If you look at their 2024 class, they've got eight from Pennsylvania out of their 24 commits, three Wisconsin, Two Florida, two Maryland, one Connecticut, one DC, one Georgia, one Massachusetts, one Michigan, one Jersey, one New York, one North Carolina, one Ohio. Like that's a pretty efficient geographical reach from James Franklin. Grace, when you were covering Clemson, um, probably South Carolina was down, so they probably had, you know, Columbia is obviously the the biggest city in the state. Um, they probably had did pretty well in, in Columbia for the kids they want. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, they went into to Antonio Williams was a big one. They got out of the Columbia area. Um, Irmo High School is right outside of Columbia and has been one that has sort of flipped back and forth um, between the two schools in recent years. But I would say Clemson, when they were on the national stage, did most of their damage in the suburbs of Atlanta and in um, in Florida, in South Florida or in Tampa, um, especially when they went on that run with those big wide receivers. But 
Um, and Alabama. That's surprised. Al- yeah. They've gotten into Texas. They've gotten into Alabama. South Carolina is a funny state, though, but Charleston also has like some sneaky good talent. Yeah. Ari, any thoughts on uh, South Carolina? I mean, on uh, Clemson recruiting? You want to share with well, us? Well, I just think with Clemson has always been. Um, <laughs> they up. suck and their program starts. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and they can't kick a I'm field kidding. goal. No, 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 I'm kidding. Yeah. I actually thought they played really well on Saturday and probably deserved to win that game if it wasn't for that strip sack. Kind of, kind of was a real kick in the knackers there, right, Grace? <laughs> Yeah, I thought the but I thought the third and one play call was the the worst thing we saw all day. Outside of Notre Dame not having enough defenders on the field. Um, money, 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 money. <laughs> did you lose money on that, Ari? Or did money, you did you win money on that? Money, 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 money. <laughs> you won money. Okay. All right. Um all right. I I don't know if this is a good. What time. were the questions about Clemson? You want me to tell no, me? No, no. I was like, just because you you have your Clemson. No, no, Clemson. Uh, are they the Mr. Uh, Diamond in the rough? I don't know. Uh, their plan has been certainly uh, as good as anybody's in the country. They've done a lot in, in Georgia and Florida, like Ray said. And like I'm trying to go back and I, I look at like what their best recruiting class was. I think it was an 18, right? Was that when they were in the top five? I think it was um, 2020, like Brzee, DJU. Yeah, uh, yeah. In 18, they finished seven. So 2020. Uh, they finished three, I think, right? Number three, it's their highest rated class in the Dapo Sweeney era. Uh, six in Georgia, three in Florida, two in Bama, two in North Carolina, two in South Carolina. Um, and then they picked up, you know, pieces of the puzzle all over the place from California to Texas. And I feel like that's probably the wheelhouse for them in terms of geographical leans. And I think things have gotten a little bit more difficult in South Carolina with the emergence of South Carolina's you know, recruiting success. North Carolina has dipped into South Carolina a few times, too, in the last few years, and Mac Brown is one hell of a recruiter. So, you know, Clemson is still king. You know, when, when Clemson comes in and knocks on your door, you probably listen to them the most. But, um, you know, South Carolina isn't necessarily known as the burgeoning capital of, of high school football talent. So, you know, they've had to really spend a lot of time in Atlanta. and They've done a good job of, you know, taking the best players in their general geographical region, but also finding the underrated studs all over the place, bringing them into the program and watching them flourish. It's a, it's a shame what happened to them. Can I add Any? one thing? Can I add one thing on Clemson? Just because I looked this up when I was doing, you know, which freshmen are actually playing this year. Uh, twenty-five of the twenty-six players they've signed have have seen the field uh, at some point this year. Wow. So I know that's his sales pitch, right? We're going to play our freshmen, and we're not going to take transfers. Well, he's he's playing them. Yeah, that's a good. That's got to be. That's got to be. You know, I can't imagine someone's played all of their freshmen. So that's got to be up there. Before we get to the mailbag, so I've got a food etiquette question, Ari. Is, is this mm-hmm. well, you, For all three of you, but I don't know why. I just thought of Ari. So <laughs> on Saturday at a pregame tailgate at my son's uh, fraternity at Wake Forest, they had like big barbecue, whatever. Did they, they had, have scrimps? No, they had like well. pulled pork, um, ribs, coleslaw, a bunch of stuff. So whoever ordered this did a great job ordering food. Whoever ordered, Whoever got this going did not do a good job of getting other things like plates and stuff. So they like ran out of plates very early. So one of my son's friends just finished his food, like messy plate, you know, like sauce everywhere, coleslaw, whatever. And he was about to like throw it away. And Gabe's like, no, let me have that. So Gabe just grabs his plate, the used plate from his friend and the fork and just goes through the line and puts Whoa. his food on there and eats. 
Is that like what would you have wanted too? him to do? There's no more. Maybe wait for more plates. See if there's plates elsewhere. So Ari there, clearly has were no. Are they going to bring this. new plates to they, the thing? I would have well, done the same thing. Well, they brought new plates like ten minutes later. So, but Ari, oh. clearly you have no problem with this. No, I I would have done the same thing. I don't want the taters to get cold. Okay. <laughs> he, he, he wiped it down, right? Like he cleaned no. it with no, no. Why Just, would you wipe it down? It's the same food. <laughs> wait, did you say same fork? Yeah. Like the kid, like ate it was from a the plastic fork. fork. Then Gabe went in with it to scoop the meat, and then Gabe ate from the fork. Yeah, yeah. And then Gabe he double dipped with the fork and put it into the <laughs> into the vat. And then Gabe the gave the plate his plate and then Gabe to ate it. one of his friend's younger brothers who was about to do it. And I think That's- the mom was horrified. But then just at that point, some new plates came. So, Manny, what's your thought on this? You, you, you okay with this? Too gross or? Yeah, as a father of of two girls who are are not, they try not to be gross. I would have been grossed out. So yes, I would have said, "Don't do it. Wait for the plates." Yeah. What do you think I mean, is going to happen here? Is he going to catch some deadly virus and pass away? It's just tuna no. salad. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. And I mean, I've heard some stories that are during pledging. I think they did do far grosser things while pledging. So it's true. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, Grace. What, what say you? Are you okay with this? Or are you horrified? I'm okay with the plate. I'm I'm slightly horrified at the fork. I think that's a little sus. Um, but he he couldn't have wiped <laughs> it down. Like at the very least, wipe it down. He they didn't have any napkins. What is he going to do? Wipe his jersey with it? Nineteen year old. It's a lot of. Are you not aware of the, like? Like I would be more inclined to just like go just like grab a few chicken fingers with my hands and go sans plate. Are you like unaware of the recycling crisis in this country? And like he was just trying to save plastic for the next guy. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, was, it was, he was thinking about the environment. Yeah, That's what, all what, what Gabe did is stopped a fork from floating into a walrus's eye next That's week. He did, so yeah. you should be thanking him. Yeah. <laughs> He's so selfless. Perfect. Uh, yeah. So he was also wearing the same clothes, shorts as the night before, because I don't think he'd done wash in two weeks either. So he was saving the, the washing detergent or something. So um, What did you I think, have- Mitch, as his dad? What did I think? I was slightly grossed out about it at first, but I was like, it's all this, like, it's, I kind of with Ari, like, it's all the same food and stuff. It's it not is, like yeah. someone's like, it's not like you put a piece of pizza on a plate that had ketchup on it or something. Yeah, right, right, exactly. It was the same, same food product on each. Um, so I think he's resourceful and cares about our environment, and you did a good job as a father. Thank you, Ari. I appreciate it. Um, so <laughs> I like right. Cam's comment, right? By the way, yeah, yeah. All right, Cam, our producer, would not, uh, not a fan of that, put it that way. So, uh, yeah, all right. So, some good mailback questions. Ari finally returned to writing for the athletic this week, which was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and did his mailbag, uh, recruiting mailbag. So, we had some good questions. Still selling more subs than everybody else, though. So, that, it's fine <laughs> that you, that, that you, uh, I'm kidding, a- guys, that you answered in the mailbag and some that you didn't. Uh, this one has come up. Throughout the years, it's not the first time I don't think you've answered in the mailbag. But Quentin asked, should co- top quarterback recruits count for more in the rankings? See Alabama or SEC versus the Pac-12. Uh, Ari, give a shortened version of what you said, and then I'd like to hear what, uh, what, what Grace and Manny say. But I thought you had a well thought out. Because the easy answer is, yeah, sure, it's the most important position. Go ahead, Ari. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know in, in theory how you would even do it to be effective because if you give a recruiting bump to a quarterback then you have to give everybody a bump and then you're back to where you started from right so the the notion of this is more so of if you hit on a player and Trevor Lawrence is your quarterback or 
Justin Fields as your quarterback and their five-star players who actually turned out to be great. How do you properly account for that? Like Drake may, I think would be the perfect instance of that in this year's college football world, because he, I believe was a four-star prospect and now is high four-star. Yeah. Um, the second best quarterback, if not the best quarterback in college football, it's like, how could you account for that in the team talent rankings? And it's like, I understand the urge to want to do it. Um, I just don't know what the application is. The entire realm of the two, four, seven sport team talent composite is based on total talent and the law of averages playing out. And if you start fiddling with the weight, especially if the weight is the same for everybody at the same position, then you're going to get scenarios like this Alabama team. That's just more weighted in the, uh, in the numbers department, well, they have five top 160 players at the quarterback position on their roster, and they all stink uh, right now anyway, then it's not going to do anything. So I don't know. Like I, I think that the notion or the idea of doing that makes sense. I don't know what the application would be. Manny? Yeah, and with Ari, I don't know how you how you sort of add bonus points. I mean, how many quarterback busts do we have every single year, right? Like More, we, more than non-busts, probably. <laughs> right, so... I don't know how you apply it. I, I mean, I think I think the concept is is probably smart, but it just again, it's how you apply it, and I don't I don't know that it's applicable. It's like overthinking it. Like Clemson gets. Yeah. D, you mentioned that twenty twenty class grades. Like DJU, it's a five star. So like, do you give them bonus points for getting that? Well, he didn't work out for Clemson. You know, still might work out for Oregon State, although that's to be determined there. So it's like I don't know what your your thoughts on this grades, but it's just. In theory, it kind of makes sense, but when you when you kind of put pen to paper and figure out a formula, I don't know if it does. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that formula would be, right? Like how you decide how to weight it, and then I don't know. I mean, you could make an argument that your team ranking is getting a bump when you land an elite quarterback. Anyway, like right now, mm-hmm. we've got um, I think it's eight of the top ten quarterbacks in this class are top one hundred prospects. So. Um, there, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that I fully understand the question, but I. It's I just don't. because quarterback. Like I think Drake May is a perfect example. Like North Carolina hit yeah. on Drake May, so shouldn't that recruiting class have received a bump because they have this great like quarterback? I think the bottom line is that people are trying to come up with a solution to make the two four seven team talent rankings more foolproof after the fact. And the fact of the matter is, is that they were actually really great before the transfer portal started blowing them up. So now we're at this weird intersection between. Um, the high school rankings and what they meant and how to reorganize the list based on, you know, players who transfer to new places to come up with a more reliable list. Cause in 2017, you could look at the, uh, the talent composite rankings and identify which eight teams are going to win the national title that year. And this is the first year um, since that, that list and, you know, became mainstream and was invented that I actually think there's a chance that a top five, Two four seven sport composite team talent team doesn't win the championship, so we'll see. Um, another quarterback question from Don H. Does the success of transfer quarterbacks reduce the pressure to sign elite high school quarterbacks? Examples: top of mind: Burrow, Hertz, Fields, Nix, Penix, Hartman, DJU. Um, there's many more. I'd say yeah, clearly. I mean, it's team still. You ask a coach, he'd rather sign a five-star and develop him, and, and he's my guy. He was in the program for three years if he's awesome. Um, but that the pressure isn't there to do it because there's there's more examples of elite transfer quarterbacks than non-transfer quarterbacks. So do you guys agree? Yeah, I do. I mean, <clears throat> I think uh, this is a new era. This is uh, an era where y- you got to be great in the transfer portal. And 
If you're not, you're not gonna, you're gonna be feeling like Clemson is right now. So <laughs> it's the way it is. You got you gotta identify talent in the transfer portal. It's the only way you win. I think in order for it to take away from the pressure, you also have to be a place that can effectively count on your ability to land a player in the portal. It's right. like just because they exist and yeah. are going to places and proving to be successful doesn't mean that you can do it. Like if you can't develop players or you can't convince high school players in the high school ranks to come to your school at the quarterback position, what makes you think that Sam Hartman's going to want to come play for you? Like that's the the hardest thing. It's like if you go back and look at all the names that he listed, um, how many of them actually didn't sign top tier quarterbacks out of high school before getting those players? Like even Notre Dame with Sam Hartman, didn't they sign two top one hundred players? Buckner was in top each of the past two years, and yeah, I mean, Buckner like was Buckner top was a top one hundred player. Like I mean, they have guys coming out of the high school ranks at that position too. So you know, Oregon State might be the um the what's the word I'm benefactor the the uh, exception to the rule here, but. DJU was also trending downward when he went there. So like, it's uh, to me, it's all one and the same thing. It's like, you got to be good at accumulating talent. If you don't get a quarterback in a class, then certainly you can sit back and wait for the portal to produce somebody, but you got to go close then too. And that's not always a guarantee either. Yeah. It's it's not something you want to depend on, but I think it lessens the pressure. Like in 10, 15 years ago, if you struck out on your quarterback recruiting and they didn't develop, you were kind of screwed. Sure, there were some transfers, but there weren't many. Now, yeah. now you can go get them, and you can. If you're Ole Miss, you can go get three or four, and, and, and at the same time, and you know if they're you know if they're willing to sit behind one another. Um, Garrett, did you asked, guys see uh, this week when Caleb Williams, speaking of transfer quarterbacks, took one uh, took a snap to the to the beanbag there when he wasn't looking? Did not see that. <laughs> Did not. I just saw that for the first time and it was hilarious. He was like up I at the line see that. calling an audible and like looking around, you know, like, hey, hey, blue 42, blue 42 in the center snap. <laughs> That's Ari's right. type of humor right there. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Mitch, to your, I have, I have a like question about your. Uh, Back to food? The barbecue? Portal. Okay. No, sorry, your okay. portal theory. Isn't there a line of thinking that like if you rely too much though on the transfer quarterback that the five stars are no longer going to be interested in you like we t- remember when we talked to um michael tollison the arizona state uh 2025 commit and he was like yeah like arizona state told me that if they take a for- uh, quarterback from the portal it's just going to be a quick fix like i am the guy so i do wonder if like i don't know if like a is it putting like a band-aid on a bigger wound if you just go to the portal every year and then a five star yeah, I, mean, I, I think it could hurt Ole Miss. I just talked about him. I think it could impact their ability to land a five star a top kid out of high school. You know, other coach are gonna be like, hey, look at their roster right now. They've got three high major transfers on their roster right now. You, you know, you're gonna go there and you're gonna be recruited over. So uh, Ari <laughs> Ari just slacked up putting the thing <laughs> he wants us to look at this video and giggle. Is that true? Because <laughs> Ari's giggling. You watched um, it just now, Ari? Yeah, I just saw it right now. I think that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, Mitch, but Mitch, like Ole Miss, for example, right? You talk about that. Like yeah. they, signed, they signed Austin Simmons and they landed Trevor Jackson. True. <laughs> I'm just saying like. Yeah, no, I, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, Trevor Jackson. I mean, I think more of the Trevor better Jackson's guys. Like it's star. obviously like, if you Trevor get more. Ja- Go ahead, Ari. 
if you get more options, then the more likely is that one of them pans out too. You know, yeah. so I mean, Simmons was a guy they had reclassified for two classes, and Trevor Jackson was a late riser who obviously we think is pretty good. Are <laughs> you guys? Chris, are you laughing at the video or at Ari? No, the video. I'm laughing at the video, and I'm laughing. I'm laughing at the video, and I'm laughing at like Ari and watching this video. But it's like it's only five seconds, video. so it's almost like a boomerang on Twitter when you watch it over and over again. I like the Arizona over. State players' reaction to it. They're like, "That's a penalty." Sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, I did not think it was going to be that funny when Ari described it, but um. Ari, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I accuse you of being sophomore, but that was in fact funny. So that was funny. I'm fine being sophomoric if it's funny. I got an X out of this. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay, Grace, don't watch it for the 38th straight time. Um, (laughs) All right. Um, Garrett S. and Ari answered this. Will the Oregon beat down derail Coach Prime's recruiting train? No. If anyone thinks that's the case, they don't really follow recruiting or Deion Sanders. Um, it, It slows down the hype train around the program's ability to win eight, nine games, if anyone thought that, or if anyone thought that they were a playoff team, which is kind of absurd to think that, absurd even though they're, they're a hot start. But uh, look at the people that are coming for visits and stuff. Um, you, you, I, I assume you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think as long as Dion's in charge and he's getting good results, there's going to be more people that are excited to come play for Colorado. I, I don't think, I don't think any, any of these high school recruits are looking at Colorado right now and thinking to themselves – yeah, they they got their asses handed to them by Oregon, so I'm not going there anymore. Like that's, it's different when you're building something up versus being an established program and losing to like you know a Middle Tennessee or something like that. Some some group that would never happen. No. Yeah. So for- yeah. <laughs> so like to me, that's, I wonder who you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, um, I I think it's more. I think wins and losses are more damaging when it's when it's an embarrassing team than it is maybe you know another quality opponent, another top 25 team. Like nobody's going to look at that and say, you know, uh, Oregon should have won. I mean, uh, Colorado should have won that game. Or, okay. Quick you know. round table. That got me thinking. And you guys can think I'll start with Manny. You guys have all been beat writers mm-hmm. for a different period of times. Grace is going to be more difficult because the team she covered was so good. Worst loss of a team that you covered. Manny. So I, I'm going to throw out two Miami. options. Miami is it the is it the MTS the Middle Tennessee game or is it the Clemson beatdown when they didn't they score it's, seventy points? It's the FIU game. Okay, when, well, they, when they lost to FIU, the inner city team that is no not supposed to be anywhere near their level. That did was, you taunt Miami fans after that? I did a little bit. Yes, <laughs> nice. <laughs> they didn't like it. So yeah, um, no that that to me is by far the worst loss in Miami history. Okay, Grace would say, was there a bad loss when you covered Clemson? Grace is a winner. She's just a flat-out winner. Team she covered is a winner. They did not lose a lot. Um, I, co- I covered the – I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2018, but when they lost up at Syracuse. Um, okay. And Dabo like, went into the Syracuse locker room afterwards. That was the Kelly Bryant year, I'm pretty yeah. sure. And then Zarek Cooper played. I think Kelly got hurt. That was just a weird – like. Uh, a disorienting loss, like this. What's happening? I watched that from right Central now. Barbecue in Memphis, Tennessee. I remember exactly where I was. Wow. Yeah, it's good. Um, Ari, uh, it would have to be Ohio State's loss to Purdue or Iowa in one of those two years in seventeen and eighteen. They got their ass kicked uh, yeah. on the road two years in a row to teams that were like seventy-five spots below them in the t- in the talent composite. 
Um, but I think the most embarrassing loss, if you ask them, would probably be the 2016-31-0 loss to Clemson in the playoff. Now that That's not a loss to Middle Tennessee State or got upset by a terrible program. That was just a team kicking your ass on the biggest stage and proving that they're better than you in every facet. And I think that's more humiliating for an Ohio State type team than you know, losing yeah. a weird game that they didn't really, that they were sleepwalking through or, you know, something weird happened. You know, getting your ass kicked is, is very embarrassing, I think. So, yep, those are the three that come to my mind in the 10 years that I was covering them. Did you, you were there, I assume? All of them, yeah. Grace, were you there for that game? Did you guys mm-hmm. know each other? No, we didn't, but we sat next to each other. What was it? What was it? 2018? 19? Had you that started? Was the first you time I ever met Ari. What'd you think we of sat, Ari? First we impression. We sat next first. to each other for the 2019 Ohio State Clemson playoff game, and it was one of the best games. That was the one where Sean Wade got ejected in the second quarter for targeting, and then Clemson came back and won. Right. Yes, Clemson came back. Everyone thought that everyone in the press box was like the Ohio State writers were like, "Do we need to start booking our travel for where was it, New Orleans?" Yeah. I thought Ari was the like funniest, weirdest, most entertaining person I had ever met in my life. That day. <laughs> what do you think of him now? The fun- <laughs> exact same. same. Yeah. Is that a compliment, Ari? I'm unapologetically who I am. So uh, we were laughing and having a good time. That's what you're supposed to do when you're covering a game. You he know, just, I just remember him being like house call, and then, and then uh, <laughs> it was like the fourth quarter, and it was, and he like looked over at me and a little PG 13, but he was nervous because he had never, he hadn't covered a game that close all year. And he was like, it's the fourth quarter and I don't know what to write. (laughs) And, uh, it was, it was just like so surreal. I loved every minute of it. uh, Yeah. I I get nervous sometimes when I'm covering a big game and I don't have a grasp of my opinion yet in the fourth quarter. I I don't like that feeling. I think you're, that's probably a lot of writers like that. Um, Yeah. so driving back from Winston this week, we uh, first thing we were going to listen to like some music or a podcast, a different podcast. And I said, can we listen to Ari and uh, the, the, uh, the reaction podcast first? Mm-hmm. So we're driving back and you got, you were pretty tame. You were tired, well-documented. You didn't get much sleep or you had to drive whatever. Like yeah. that. So it was very tame Ari, but a couple of things you said, I just look over and the look on Heather's face was like, now I know what you deal with basically. What, what did I say? <laughs> I've can't I can't remember the specifics and there weren't that many great Ari's. You know, yeah, I, I was going to say, I was pretty tired and low key on that episode. So, yeah, she uh, if she's rolling her eyes at that one, then she should not stu- tune in to the rest of the shows. <laughs> yeah, um, I want to know what our viewers think of our like. If you're listening know, like, to Ari for the first time, what's their impression? I mean, there's a lot of really mean comments in our reviews. You can go read those. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. That's, yeah. that's not fun. Uh, ready for a little trivia? Sure. Yes. My, okay. My AirPods are dying. Can I just switch uh, headphones? You can do whatever you want. Okay. Yeah. Maybe if I don't hear the trivia question, I can't get it wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. This one's hard because I forgot to come up with the trivia until about like an hour ago and I was doing something else and I didn't have time to do some research. So this is from that project I have been working on, a research project. So from 2009 through 2018 recruiting classes, so a 10-year stretch, okay. there were two top 100 quarterbacks who played college, quarterback in college but were drafted as non-quarterbacks. Mm. So you understand the question? What were the years? 2009 through 2018. Braxton Miller was one. Got it. That's one. And Russell Shepard fits into this category, but was not, first of all, he didn't really play quarterback at LSU, and he wasn't drafted. So there's another, so Braxton Miller played quarterback 
and was drafted as a non-quarterback. One other player played quarterback and another position in college, and he was drafted this other position. Yeah, Ari, we need some background music, Ari. I'm trying to think. Tim Tebow was drafted as a quarterback, right? And it was, it was, well, before he was, he played in college in like 2008. Like, so this yeah, is I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not even on the, I, uh, yeah. By the way, I mean, am, I, I like I would, am I officially I old, on, like uh, as an empty nester now? Like we watch Jeopardy every night when we eat dinner. Is that like, or am I just, is that Do you have old? a TV dinner that you unfold onto a, an open no, tree table? No, we cook dinner. <laughs> we don't have a frozen dinner. We, we cook That's dinner. when you really, it's like you have a hungry man and you put it on the foldable yeah. tables. No. And you sit on your, on your recliners next to each other. No. That's this is really good night. music. I kind of I'm into it yeah, a little so bit. We just, we um, just hold on. Uh, if I were on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, I would just shit my pants. TV. <laughs> full on too like, much pressure. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to do it. Um, what about not knowing anything either? <laughs> that, that might not, I don't, that might I don't be know anything too. either. Yeah. So do you guys have many? You're just you have this look on your face. You just are you stumped? Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of somebody, and, and, and I'm just stumped. I can't. I think he's still question. in the NFL, actually. I'm not 100 mm. sure. I'll give you a hint. Was he a wide receiver? Yeah. He is in a no. Okay. Well, then I really don't know. Yeah, no, me neither. If Cam didn't cheat, he got one of them right. And he's our producer, Cam. If you guys see the comments, mm. uh-uh. Blake Shoelace? Bell. Blake oh, Bell. Okay. Blake Bell. Okay. I don't know who Blake Bell is. So you don't know who good, Blake good Bell is? Mm-mm. Do you watch college football? No, sometimes. Okay. Uh, By the way, Cam did not cheat. Just okay, to yes. Pride, Pride of Bishop, Bishop Carroll High School. I don't know where Bishop Carroll High School is. Is it in Cam? Are you going to tell us where Bishop Carroll is? In our, in Wichita, Cam? Is that your is high that school? Is that where you're from, Cam? You're, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah pull me out here. I, I'm from Wichita, so yes, I grew up watching him. Okay, so uh-huh. we, we credit you for getting it, but you had you had some, some inside knowledge there. So, yeah, Blake Bell was a top 100 quarterback who I think started for two years maybe, or started for one year at Oklahoma. Uh, the Belldozer package, Ari, I don't know. You know, he big oh, guy. Yeah, so. yeah, no, I don't remember that at all. Okay. Tight ends. Yeah, so I think he's still in the NFL. I think I saw him over the weekend. Maybe. Chiefs. Good job, Cam. Yeah. Two, two, two Super Bowl titles. Yeah, good for him. Mm-hmm. So Good job, Grace. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Ari? Thank you so much for listening to Stars Matter. We will catch you next week. Beautiful.